name's on. Amen. God is good. God is good. Mark chapter 12 and verse 13. And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. They were always trying to trip up the Lord. And when they were come, these are guys now that think they're really smart, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man. For thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, referring to the Lord, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought him, and they brought it, and he said unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. They thought they could trip him up with this question, thinking that however he answered would put him in a difficult position, but the Lord outsmarted them. And they showed him this penny with Caesar's image. He said, well, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. I want to speak uh, tonight on this subject, the master's coins. The master's coins. Would you bow your heads and would you pray? Lord, we're thankful to be in your house tonight and thankful for the opportunity to be with your people and Lord, to look to your word. Thank you so much, God, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we have access to it. It gives us life. It gives us hope. And Lord, now as we open our hearts and minds to this word, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to minimize distractions and allow our spirit and mind to, to be able to connect with the principles, the precepts, the concepts of your word. Let them marinate in our mind and in our spirit and let us be changed from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. From the very beginning of this um, dialogue, as it were, that Jesus had with these uh, individuals, they were, um, I guess, the, the whiz kids of the day. They were Herodians, um, certain of the Pharisees must have been the elite of the Pharisees. Uh, and they, they, they sent them. I mean, they had a mission. It was to, to catch him in his words because Jesus was so popular among the people and he had um, such a following that it was a threat to um, the temple and to the Sanhedrin, as it were. And when Jesus responded the way that he did, he, he did more than just to uh, sort of rebuff their attack 
he also gave us some insight into how the Lord looks at each of us. One of the things that he reveals in this passion passage of scriptures is that the identity of the owner is given in the image. The identity of the owner is given in the image. Because we were created in his image. We are called to take on the identity of the owner. Now, immediately there is a uh, response in the flesh because we don't want to think of being owned by anything or anyone. But we, I think, would have to recognize that God holds every breath that we breathe in his hand. That's why every day is a gift. Don't waste not one 12-hour waking day being negative. Find something every day to celebrate. There's too much hurt. There's too much pain. There's too much negativity in this world. Every day is a gift. Don't waste your life being negative, being critical, hurting others. Find some way to worship God. Find some way to wake up every morning and say, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. But we were created in his image. And so we must take on the identity of our owner. And indeed, he does own us because he created us. And he created us in his image. And there's a significance to that. I heard a, a story about a, a real poor um, young man that was uh, in school learning about, uh, as they used to say in the old days, arithmetic, which is math. <laughs> but he was trying to learn about arithmetic, and his teacher was trying to help him. He was very, very poor. His family was very poor. And um, the teacher said, Johnny, if you had a quarter in one pocket and a quarter in another pocket, what would you have? And he thought about it, and he said, I would have on someone else's britches. <laughs> so, sometimes when God blesses us, we think he has the wrong person. But when God blesses us, there is this understanding that we did not get here on our own. Like one fellow that said, if you see a turtle on a fence post, you should know that he did not get there by himself. And none of us got here by ourselves. God has blessed us. And you say, well, I've worked hard for everything that I have. Yes, but God gave you the brain power to be able to work. God gave you the strength in your body to be able to work. It all goes back to the creator. And so Jesus, when he's answering these guys, he gives us this insight that whatever bears the image belongs to the image. Whatever bears the image belongs to the image. The penny belonged to Caesar because it had the image of Caesar on it. But the question that I... I'd like to explore with you tonight in the few moments that we have together is simply this. 
What image do you have on your life? Because whatever you're reflecting is what you belong to. Oh, hallelujah. If Caesar's face is on it, it belongs to Caesar. If the image from God is on it, it belongs to God. That's why I think we ought to have an identity that we're an overcomer. We ought to have the identity of Jesus on us. People ought to know you're the Jesus people. Yes, we are. We believe in the name of Jesus. We believe there's power in the name of Jesus. We were created in his image, so we should bear the identity of our maker. So what do people see when they look at us? If we look at this and use this coin as a metaphor, people were to look at our lives, what do they see? What do they see when they talk to us? Do we reflect our creator, our Messiah? Or does something else shine forth from us? Now, I I have been amazed at how people that are very um, reserved, that are good Christians, how they have reacted during this COVID season. People have become more of an evangelist for how people should wear their face masks and when they should wear their face masks and how they should sanitize their hands and how many feet everybody should be apart. They have become more of an evangelist for COVID protocol than for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, pastor, that's much different. You know, COVID uh, can kill you. There's a lot of other things, too, that can also kill you. And I want my life, so I'll just preach to me tonight. I want my life to reflect a loving savior. I don't want my life to reflect a God that's got a big zap stick up there and he's just waiting for you to step out beyond the lines and then he zaps you with you and you go through trouble and you go through trial. I don't want my life to reflect that. I do want my life to reflect Jesus, but I want him to be reflected as the loving savior that he is. I don't want my life to reflect fear and and I don't want my life to be so caught up in this world. We got to remember this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Our life has got to reflect something that is from another country. Mm. Speaking of another country, it is amazing to me how Good God-fearing people are more of a witness about the Second Amendment than they are the Second Commandment. (laughs) So funny to watch all of you react from up here. People are more focused on the election than they are on the church. If you've got a Trump hat, but you don't have a Jesus hat, you may have the wrong image. 
For those of you that couldn't say amen on that, maybe you can say amen for this one. If you have a Biden sticker, but you don't have an East Wind sticker. I don't think there's anything wrong with being passionate about the candidate that you support. I just think it's a mistake to be more passionate about a man than you are about your maker. Hallelujah. What image are we? I don't want to have the image of Caesar on me. I want to have the image of the God that saved me. It's amazing. I have so many friends on so many different sides of all the unrest and turmoil that's going on right now and with COVID and, and uh, protests and elections and, and everybody wants you to speak out more strongly about what they feel. I had a friend of mine the other day telling me, boy, I heard a preacher. He was really preaching. He was going at it. I said, wonderful. What was he preaching? Was he preaching Acts 2.38? No, he was telling people, if you don't vote for Trump, you're going to hell. This is what they call the silly season. Here we are two days before the election. I was trying to get to my house today and, and there were all these trucks that were all in a line and they were flying all these Trump flags and they were all in a line and, and they were trying to figure out and they were all going back and forth and I was trying to just get around them. I'm glad, God bless you. I'm glad they got a Trump train going down the neighborhood. But I, I would like to get to my house. And they wouldn't let me pass them. And I thought, I got to get around these guys somehow. And I thought, we ought to be having a Jesus train. We need a Jesus train. They said the other day they had a 94-mile Trump train. Well, I wish we had a 98-mile Jesus train. And I voted for Trump, so don't get me wrong. I'm not against Trump. I'm just saying we got to be careful as apostolic Pentecostals that we realize who we are and what our identity is. Our identity is not with a political party. Our identity is that we are called of God. We've been baptized in his name, bought by his blood. So if you're willing to go two hours early to a political rally and stand in line, but you can't come to church 30 minutes early to pray, you got the wrong image on your coin. You got the image of Caesar on your coin and God is saying, hey, give unto me where my image is. When God comes back for a church, he's coming back for a people that's got his image on them. Gotta, we we got to figure out, do we belong more to Caesar or more to the Savior? Why be more passionate about a candidate than your creator? 
Give to Caesars what is Caesars. Go and do your civic duty and vote. That's fine. Give to Caesars what is Caesars. But that's not the image of who we are. Our life needs to have the image of the reflection of our Lord and Savior. And long before the Lord would establish his image, and we're going to get into this a little bit more, there was many, many times, and this I think is true for all of us, that God restricted the children of Israel from getting the wrong image. Before you can get the right image, you've got to get rid of the wrong image. And in the Old Testament, there are a lot of examples of of improper images. There's molten images and carved images and graven images and all of these images. The Lord just kept trying to restrict the children of Israel from falling prey to these images. The children of Israel built a golden calf under the direction of Aaron while Moses was up there on the mountain. And there were images of Baal and images of Dagon, which was this god, you know, that the Philistines have, which was half fish and, and half man. And then there's the images of the king, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and the three Hebrew children. And there's all of these images. And the Lord is trying to tell the children of Israel, don't get caught up in all of these images. Now, the reason that the Lord told them that was because God was preparing a Messiah. He was preparing a, a Savior that would be God manifest in the flesh. The Bible says that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We recognize that. But God was going to give a physical demonstration of that spirit through the man Christ Jesus. But he could not get them to that point until they divorced themselves from false images. When you get rid of false images, you can get the true image. Oh, hallelujah. And so the Lord is very specific that he does not want his people to have anything to do with these images. Now, let me show you how that relates to where we are in 2020. We live in a time where imaging is magnified. We have bigger TVs than ever. We have small theaters in our home. When I was a kid, we weren't allowed to go to the theaters. Now we have put the theaters in our houses. We have these massive digital images and I think there is a danger in getting so caught up with the wrong image that we can't see the right image and so if we spend more time online than we do on our knees then our life will reflect a secular image and it'll come out. It'll come out in your speech. It'll come out in your attitude. It'll be reflected in your appearance. Whatever you watch, whatever that image is, and wherever you spend your time, you say, well, I don't bow down and worship my TV. But if you spend hours there, you're worshiping that image. Here's what Exodus says. Exodus Chapter 20, verses 4 through 7. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, do you remember when we read the text that when they showed them that coin, that was Caesar's coin, they, there were two things on the coin. There was the image, and then there was also the inscription. What was the inscription? There's something interesting that happens here because he associates, the Lord associates the image with the name. So once again, confirming the image as a standard of identity. The image should not be in vain. And the inscription or the name should not be in vain. <laughs> so if we go back to the coin, the question that is asked is whose image is on it? And they answer by whose image is on it by saying the name of the image. And the coin, so it has not only an image on it, it has a name on it. There was a, uh, I don't know how long ago it was, I've lost track of time, but a couple of months ago or whenever, we were uh, in California and we were with some friends. We went over the line into Nevada. We went to this place called the Carson City Mint. And they got tours. You can go down there. And they still got the old machine down there that works and, uh, and it makes, you know, uh, coins and whatnot. But it's, it's old timey and it doesn't, you know, it's the, the coins it makes is not in circulation anymore. And so... Uh, we went all through that, and they showed how they made the coins in, old, in the old days, and they shipped them from the Carson City men over you know, to the U.S. Treasury Department in Washington, D.C., and, and how they would do that, and the stagecoaches, and all that in the Old West. And it was, it was very interesting. So when I got out of there, I, I, I went to the gift shop, and I said, I would like to uh, buy a, a coin that was made. How do I know if it was made at this mint? And they said, well, if it's made at this mint, it'll have a CC on it. That means Carson City. And so I said, okay, I want a Carson City coin to commemorate my visit to the Carson City Mint. And uh, they said, okay, and they showed me a few coins, and I said, what, why is this? This says a copy, and this one says a copy. And they said, oh, yeah, because these coins are not you know, allowed to be, uh, if you didn't put copy on it, then it could be used in, in the U.S. circulation of money and, and so forth, so it's not a real coin anymore. I said, I don't want a fake coin. I want a real coin. And so they said, you may need to go across the street. So we got our group together, and we went across the street. Across the street was a coin, a regular coin store. And so we told them what we wanted, you know, and they said, oh, we know just what you need. <laughs> well, you, they could tell we were tourists, boy. They were getting ready to take us to the cleaners. And they said, did they tell you about uh, these coins that, that, that got lost? I'm like, No. They said there were coins that were made in the Carson City Mint back in the 1800s, and they, they put them in, they shipped them to the Treasury Department, and there's all kinds of different stories about what happened. But they said, you know, the, 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 the official story from the Treasury Department is that they were put in bags, and they somehow were misplaced. Now, how do you misplace bags of silver coins at the U.S. Treasury Department. I don't know. I think probably something else happened. Maybe somebody stole it and it got returned. I don't know. But there were all of these coins that never went into circulation in the 1800s. And they're, they're, they're not in perfect condition because they were all in bags. And they got little scratches and so forth on them. But they were never put out into circulation. And they're real coins. And they say CC on them. 
I said, well, let me look at those coins. So they brought them out, you know, and they said, here's this one, and that one's a little more, that's in better condition, this is another condition, this is in better condition, this is in different condition. And I said, but I want one that I can see the CC on it, because that lets me know Carson City Mint. I've never been to another mint. The only mint I've ever been to is the Carson City Mint. I want something that says Carson City on it. And they said, well, this says Carson City on it, and this is valuable because it's part of those lost coins. And I said, how do I know that it's real? And they said, well, you can tell, you know, it's got silver in it and blah, 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 and they weigh it and all these different things. I said, how do I know this real? How do I know this is different than another coin? They went through all these different ways to verify it. But they said, there's two things you need to learn. Number one is that it's made in the Carson City Mint because it says CC on it. Nobody else would be able to put that name on it if it was made at any of the other mints in the United States of America. So it has the inscription. Second of all, they said, you can know that it's real. How can I know that it's real? Because it has all the markings of a real coin. I said, but couldn't you create counterfeit coins that have all the same markings? They said, that's a good question. We're glad you asked that. They said, that takes you to the third way of verifying. I said, how do we verify it the third way? They said, you verify it by the weight. They brought out a little scale, and they weighed the coin. When the time they got all done, I was convinced I had the real thing. And I was going to bring it tonight and show it to you, but I was afraid somebody would steal it from me. <laughs> but as, <laughs> as I was preparing this message, I got to thinking about that. If we're the master's coins, we got to have the mark on us. CC. Christ's church. <laughs> we got to have the markings that make it look like that, that people can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're not a counterfeit Christian. How do you know whether or not you're a counterfeit Christian? You may have to go to the third way. You may have to get weighed. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. You got you to know, do you got enough metal in you? Do you got enough that you can get through the valley? Can you get through the tough times when they're having to strap your head down and shoot radiation into you? Can you get through the tough times when you're having to go through chemotherapy? Can you get through the tough times when your spouse walks out on you and your kid tells you that he doesn't want to serve God and he's having an identity problem? Do you have enough weight to say, God, you created me. You gave me the strength that I have. We don't belong to Caesar. We belong to Jesus. Mm. So God does not reveal his name or his image in the Old Testament. So what does God put his image on? Colossians chapter 1, verses 13, 14, and 15. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name 
Jesus. How do we know that Jesus was the Savior? Because he had the image and he had the inscription. And she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. The name literally was an identity of what his mission was. And his mission was to save his people from their sins. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, that has to be the identity of the church. That's what our focus is. That's what our mission is, is to help people to be saved. Hallelujah. When we come into this atmosphere and we're worshiping and we're singing and we're glorifying God and people come into that atmosphere and they can feel the presence of God, it's got to be an atmosphere where people know their sins can be removed. Why? Because every service has got to have the identity and the image of the Savior. Every time we come together, there's got to be the identity of why we gather. We gather for the purpose of salvation that men and women can be saved and this was demonstrated by the image and the inscription that was put on the Messiah but it's not just the Messiah it's also mankind Genesis 1:27. so God created man in his own image in the image of God created he him male and female 1 Corinthians 15, 49. I'm trying to bring you, show you one scripture in the old one in the new. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, because we are dealing with these human bodies, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. How do you bear the image of the heavenly? Have you ever talked with people and you just say, there's something different about that person? I was in a store the other day in, in another state, and, and uh, we, were, we were trying to buy some items, and uh, we got to talking to this lady, and she was amazing, and she was just so positive, and, and I, I just kind of whispered to my wife, and I said, I bet she's a Christian, and she said, yeah, I think she is, and then we got over there to the cash register to finalize the sale, and I looked at the billboard, or the uh, bulletin board behind the um, cash register, and it was all of these sayings and all this stuff about Christianity and about Christ and about the Lord. And so I got to ask her, and I said, you know, are you a Christian? She said, oh, yeah. And she got to talking about how she was raised, and she just and it just bubbled up out of her. And I said, you know what? Before you ever mentioned Jesus, I could tell you had a relationship with the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. How do you bear the image of the heavenly? It's got to be something that just falls. Have you ever met somebody you've never even seen them before? You maybe meet them at an airport or you maybe meet them at a store somewhere and you can just tell that they've got the spirit of God. You know why? Because Jesus has put his name on humanity. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven 
Why? Given among men whereby we must be saved. It all goes back to that, folks. Having the identity of your master is all about salvation. When you've got the inscription of the Lord on your life, it's for the purpose of salvation. That's why we got to be witnesses. we got to share the gospel with everybody we meet. There's got to be something about our lives that resonates, that radiates, that when people talk with us, they know there's something different about him. There's something different about her. It's not like anybody else. There's something flowing from them. Why? They've got the identity of their Savior. A number of years ago, we were going on a missions trip down to Argentina with several other pastors and their wives from the state of Florida. We met a lady in an airport in Miami, and she was from Cuba. And she talked to us for some time. She told how she was raised in Cuba and what it was like to see the revolution live through that. And she told us how they had put her husband in jail and how they feared for their life every day. But she said something really interesting happened when the Americans left. Many of them had to leave as they were going back to America because Castro was taking over. They wouldn't be able to stay there for the risk of their lives. She said the Americans left the country, but she said they left something that was very valuable. They left behind the official seal that would grant entry into the United States from the Immigration Department. As they pulled out of the embassy, as they pulled out and left the country, they left behind a seal. And she said, we were able to get access to it. And she said, we began to use it. It had the stamp. And she said, we used it to put the name and the image of the United States on every paper of every person that wanted freedom. They wanted to leave, but to leave, they had to have the stamp. And she said, when the Americans left the embassy, they left behind the official stamp. And she said, when we found it, we started telling all of our friends. She said, we had to be careful because we could risk losing it. But she said, everybody that we could, we told them to get your paperwork together. We've got the stamp. We've got the seal. She said, because of that, we were able to help thousands of people be delivered out of Cuba just because we found the seal that was left behind. I said to her, did they leave it behind for that purpose? And she said, yes. She said, they left it behind for the purpose to be used to help other people be delivered. All I could think about was Jesus in, 
in John chapter 4 when he said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there ye may be also. But oh, my friend, he left something behind. He left his name behind. He left his spirit behind. He left the word of God behind. And it's our seal. Hallelujah. And if you want to be free, I've come to tell you, we've got the stamp. We have got the stamp. When you are stamped in your spirit by the power and the anointing of God, it's what gives you freedom. Freedom to be delivered. Freedom to worship God in the midst of trial. Freedom to say, I will bless the Lord, oh my soul. Mm. Would you stand to your feet tonight? Jesus. Oh, I feel like the Lord is wanting to stamp our lives with his spirit. Mm. There's something about the spirit of God. It's his name, but it's also his spirit. When you are filled with the Holy Ghost, he stamps your life with the spirit of God. And things are just not the same. I was talking to a friend of mine recently. We were talking about this end of the month, October, you know, and what does the church do? How do you guys handle Halloween? I said, well, we, we always try to do something alternative. We um, try to have fall festivals or appreciate Sister Alexis Griffin opening up Friday night and having a drive through where kids could have candy and whatnot. And we try to create something that's different. Because I was a kid. We used to go to haunted houses. And I think back on it now and I think, we couldn't go to football games, but we went to haunted houses? How does that work? One time, Brother Richie, don't tell Bishop Myers. Not this church, but the old church down there on the east end of Palm Bay Road. We turned all the Sunday school rooms into a haunted house one time. Can you imagine that? And we scared people as they came through the Sunday school rooms. How bizarre is that? And I was telling my friend, I said, but I remember when I was 16 years old, we were actually out of town, we were at a general conference somewhere up Midwest, Louisville or somewhere. It was toward the end of the middle to the end of October. And it was a bigger city. They had a haunted house there. And a bunch of us teenagers, some college career, we, we went to the haunted house at the general conference. So crazy now as I think back on it. But it was it didn't seem as evil back then as it does now. Maybe it was, and we just weren't aware of it, but I remember going to this, this haunted house. My sister was with me and some of the other friends and so forth, and we went through this deal, and it was, you know, all this different scary this, scary that, 
But then they put us in this room. We all had chairs. We were sitting down. I want you to think about this because we were all filled with the Holy Ghost. We sat in these chairs. And they had a casket that was up in the front of this room. And in this casket, they had somebody that was dead or was supposed to appear to be dead. And then they had this lady come out and she had a big snake wrapped all around her. She started doing all of these incantations and stuff. And this supposedly dead person started coming up out of this casket. I guess now as I think back, I mean, I realized it was some sort of a demonic demonstration of the enemy trying to say that he has resurrection power when he doesn't. Only Jesus can raise from the dead. But when this thing started unfolding, all of us that were there that had the Holy Ghost, our Holy Ghost flared up. Aren't you glad you got the Holy Ghost? And we all stood up and literally said, enough is enough. And we all stood up and the the people were like, where are you going? It's just starting. I said, we're all done. Where's the door? And they said, well, you have to go through. I said, no, we're not going through nothing. Where is the exit? And they said, well, the best is still to come. I said, you don't understand. We, I was only 16 years old. We are filled with the Holy Ghost. We have a Holy Spirit. This is an evil spirit. They don't mix. That was it. I was all done. I've never been to a haunted house. I won't even go to the haunted house at Disney World. You know why? Because when you have been sealed with his spirit. Woo! Hallelujah! I said, when you have been sealed with the spirit of God. The spirit of God will tell you. It will warn you. That's not of God. Ladies and gentlemen, don't override that. I don't know if you're like this, but you can be watching some kind of a humor or something on television, and then all of a sudden you can feel that. You better hear your Holy Ghost. Turn it off, because if you keep overriding the Holy Spirit before long, that image will attach itself to you, and your Holy Ghost will go into a dormant position. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance, but if you don't feed the Spirit of God, it will not have prominence in your life because if you feed the flesh, the flesh has prominence. And that's why you've got to say, Lord, you filled me with the Holy Ghost. I don't care if you got the Holy Ghost when you were six years old. You got to get up every day and say, Lord, I want your spirit to sit on the throne of my heart. I want you to have prominence in my life. I'm not going to let any other thought, I'm not going to let anything else come into my mind that's going to hinder. I was created to worship God. Oh, hallelujah. If you've got the Holy Ghost, why don't you lift your hands right now? Lift up your voice and begin to worship God with all of your heart. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, use your mouth and declare it. You've got all power. 
We are identified by your name. We are identified by your spirit. We are identified by your word. Yes, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We have your identity, O oh Lord. Yes, in the name of Jesus.
There are two things that position us as humans for the infilling of the Spirit of God. One is faith, and the second is praise. We understand faith. Faith is the triggering mechanism, the bridge between divinity and humanity. When we believe, it opens up the favor of God. Why is it that praise positions us? For the infilling of the Spirit of God. What is it about praise? The Bible said he inhabits the praises of his people. Why is it that praise creates an atmosphere where God pours out his Spirit? The reason is this. You belong to what you worship. What you worship signifies to the spirit world that you want the identity of that to be on your life. So when you worship God, even if you haven't received the Spirit of God, even if you've not received the Holy Ghost, even if you've not had a miraculous healing in your body, but when you begin to worship God, you are signifying, I want His identity on my life. I don't know what you may be going through right now. Maybe you need to receive the Spirit of God with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Maybe you need a healing. Maybe you need a miracle. But I wonder right now if you would lift up your hands and your voice. And I wonder if you would just give God praise right now. Would you do that? Oh, that's it. Just praise Him. Come on, that'll signify to the spirit world. I want the identity of Christ on my life. Yes, I worship you, Lord. I lift my voice to you, God. I magnify you, Jesus. as you begin to worship God flow in the Holy Ghost flow in the Holy Ghost hallelujah Jesus you are the mighty God you're the everlasting father We worship you, Lord, with all of our heart, all of our strength. Yes, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Worship your way out of it.
forever.